Well, hello, everyone online. Um, just before I get into the talk, I want to remind you that we have our Advent devotional um, out. You can get that online at our website if you just go to vineyard.co, uh, uh, vineyardchurch.co, that is. <laughs> and um, there you'll find a PDF download that you can get of the Advent do devotional. So we highly encourage you to uh, download that, and then you can use that um, throughout Advent um, to um, connect with God in a special way. Well, it goes without saying that one of the most famous Christmas hymns of all time is the dreamy and serene Silent Night. Uh, we're almost likely familiar with the idyllic picture it paints of the Savior's birth. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Sleep in heavenly peace. As much as I love singing that song year after year, let's be honest, it was anything but silent. Uh, both of my children were born at home uh, with a midwife, and so I was able to experience uh, the whole ordeal very up close and personal. And as many of you know, the birth of a child is, is messy, loud, stressful, exhausting, and a whole host of other adjectives uh, that are anything but calm and peaceful. And, and, and that's what we can expect from a normal birth. Well, Jesus' birth was anything but normal. A Mary going into labor on the road, uh, not being able to find a place to stay, eventually finding um, a place in an animal shelter. And I'm guessing the animals weren't all that calm either. As Pat said last week, when you read the scriptures carefully, you quickly notice that the first Christmas was actually a time of great stress, conflict, fear, and uncertainty. In other words, it wasn't all that different from our own experience, especially in 2020. Am I right? I mean, am I the only one who feels just downright tired some of these days? Not just physically, but a kind of weariness of the soul. There's a certain heaviness that has been weighing on us this past year. And entering into the holidays during another surge of the pandemic in the wake of an incredibly contentious presidential election doesn't help either. And so this Advent, we want to see how the Christmas story provides us not with an escape from or a denial of reality, but rather the real possibility to live with the kind of hope, peace, joy, and love that we can experience here and now, no matter what we may be going through, the kind of hope, peace, and joy, and love that can actually change lives and our world for the better. Well, the question that I want to ask today is this. Is there something or someone that can do the heavy lifting for us? Where we can find some peace in the midst of all this fear and uncertainty. So why don't you join with me in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you that right here and now, your presence is with us. Christ, you are in us. And we draw on that strength this morning. Come Holy Spirit, meet us right where we are. Ask for your blessing on the scriptures, the reading of the scriptures, and, and, and may your grace and truth work itself in our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel and uh, Luke begins his story not with Jesus, but rather with Jesus' cousin, John. 
John would later become known as John the Baptist. And, and John is the one who prepares the way for the coming of Jesus. So it's fitting that Advent usually includes John uh, in our own preparation for the coming of Jesus. But Luke takes us back even farther and starts us off with John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and the incredible experience that they have. And it's in this episode that I believe we find a clue to help us nurture some peace in this season that we find ourselves in. So I'm going to be reading, uh, again, this is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Luke writes this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now this is more than just an interesting piece of historical trivia. Luke reminds his readers the context in which all this took place. Herod the Great was a, va was a vassal king of the Roman Empire, renowned for his sometimes arbitrary actions and downright ruthlessness. And toward the end of his rule, he acted out of sheer paranoia. In fact, he had uh, one of his wa own wives killed as well as three of his children. Not a nice guy. So by reminding us that this took place in the time of Herod, we're reminded just how precarious society was that first Christmas. The Jews were an oppressed people who lived under the heavy weight of a brutal empire. Life was not easy. But Luke doesn't linger long on the political reality of the day. He, he zooms in on the very personal drama of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But they were childless. See, Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and now that they're both old, they most likely have resigned themselves to this cold, harsh reality, the weight of barrenness. However, as God often does in barren, lifeless circumstances, we are caught by surprise at news of the seemingly impossible. Picking up again in verse 8. Luke writes, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
Well, Sarah has Isaac, Hannah has Samuel, Ruth has Obadiah. From the wombs, the world calls cursed. God brings forth life used to save, heal, and prepare others for the reign of God. And now Zechariah receives word that the unthinkable is going to happen to Elizabeth. She's going to conceive and give birth to a son. Just when you thought all was lost, you are given reason to hope, the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Pat taught on this aspect of the Christmas story last week. When we look at the big picture, we are given this incredible hope that the places in this world that aren't working, where there is suffering, where there is brokenness, it will all be redeemed in the end. Nothing is wasted. It is all heading for a glorious new creation. But we have to remember that, that hope has a different texture than certainty. I mean, we all love certainty, don't we? And, and with certainty, I think that we're released, we, at least we feel that we're released from things like doubt and fear and cynicism. But hope often exists in the midst of these things. You know, hope may help make our current suffering less, but doesn't magically just make it go away. And there's nothing wrong with being honest and admitting this. I mean, I have a lot of hope for the future. Even though this year has been incredibly difficult and continues to be a real challenge, I have hope. I often say this, but I believe that God can take our very worst and use it as the raw material for new creation. In fact, at the very heart of the gospel is this truth that God's life is so big, so deep, and so indestructible that it includes even death itself. So yeah, I have a lot of hope. But that doesn't automatically make the weariness go away. There's often still a kind of heaviness and a lack of peace as we wait. Our hearts still ache from all manner of, of painful experiences. And yes, we sometimes will doubt and sometimes we will entertain cynicism. And I take great comfort in knowing that admitting this puts me in very good company because Zechariah demonstrates this same kind of honesty. Picking up the story in verse 18, this is how Zechariah responds to the angel. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. See, like us, Zechariah has his doubts. Even though the past is replete with, with, with stories of God bringing life into barren circumstances, he questions God's word. How can I be sure of this? I mean, look at us. We're way past childbearing age. As I said, hope is not certainty. They're two different things. And even if Elizabeth happens to get pregnant, a lot can happen in nine months. So how is he supposed to navigate this time of waiting with so much outside of their control? What can they do to find some peace in the midst of all this fear and uncertainty? Well, it's usually understood that the silence the angel bestows on Zechariah is a kind of punishment for doubting God. But I'm not so sure about that. What if this silence isn't a curse, but rather an odd blessing? 
What if this silence is actually what enables Zechariah to find the strength to endure? What if this so-called silent retreat is really Zechariah's path to peace? I mean, God declared to the prophet Isaiah that in quietness and trust is your strength. And Luke himself tells us that, that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And speaking through the psalmist, God exhorts us, be still and know that I am God. I've been practicing various forms of silence as a spiritual discipline for at least 15 years now. And I have not found another practice that has brought more change into my life than this one. In fact, if I look back over the years and I pay attention to those seasons of life where I had the most peace, it was those times where I was the most disciplined about practicing silence. For instance, last year I had fallen out of the habit of practicing daily centering prayer, which is a form of silent contemplative prayer. And then we learned that, that my wife, Kat, had cancer. And our world was turned totally upside down. The fear, the anxiety, the, the uncertainty was through the roof in our home until I established the habit of practicing silence again. It really has been my strength in this season we find ourselves in. I love what Adele Albert Calhoun writes about the practice of, of silence in her uh, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. She writes this, Like a can opener, Silence opens up the contents of our heart, allowing us deeper access to God than we experience at other times. As we remain in silence, the inner noise and chaos will begin to settle. Our capacity to open up wider and wider to God grows. And then she says, there's nothing you need to do here. This is not a time to come up with strategies for fixing your life. Silence is a time to rest in God. You know, last week, Pat taught us that we need to listen to what God says, see what God sees, in order to live lives of hope. But we'll never be able to do that if our world is full of noise, if we fill every silent moment with sound. The great spiritual teacher Henry Nouwen cautioned, without a lonely place, our lives are in danger. Without silence, words lose their meaning. Without listening, speaking no longer heals. See, like Zechariah, we need silence in this time of turmoil. And so, ironically, the invitation during this not-so-silent night is, in fact, silence. So let silence do the heavy lifting. Again, I love what Adele writes when she says, as we remain in silence, the inner noise and chaos will begin to settle. It's kind of like a glass of muddy water. If you have the grace to be still and intentionally create some space for silence in our daily lives, we'll be able to eventually see and hear more clearly. In quietness and trust is your strength. So let silence do the heavy lifting. And here's the thing. It is oftentimes in silence, after much of that inner noise settles, that we discover, much to our surprise, that God is here. 
You see, Advent isn't just about looking back at the coming of Christ in the person of Jesus or looking forward to the full revelation of Christ at the end of the age. It's about the realization that Christ is already here in the present moment. And being unaware of this reality doesn't change the fact that it's true that Christ is here with us. But when we're able to clear away some of that noise and become aware of God's unconditional presence in our lives, it's then that we can discover a deep, deep peace, even in the midst of a not-so-silent night. So let silence do the heavy lifting. And here's the thing, if silence is new for you, this is what I encourage you to do. Take maybe just five, ten minutes to practice it. Setting a timer can help with the temptation to always be wanting to check the time. It lets you forget about that and just settle into the quiet. Intentionally place yourself in the presence of God. And what do you hear? You hear other voices, maybe, traffic, your own breath, distracting thoughts. You know, all of these simply appear on their own. And they will disappear on their own if we simply leave them alone and continue to let the quiet deepen. Be with Christ. And while it may seem like you're doing nothing, pay close attention to what happens when you make this a regular habit because the benefits of silence are often seen in the fruit it bears over the long term rather than in the experience of silence itself. So let silence do the heavy lifting. Amen.